the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. Carol is the uh, past chair of the National Council on Aging, also serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, graduate of Trinity University undergrad and Our Lady of the Lake University, University of the Incarnate Word. Just up the road a piece. I was in the right religion. I'm shaking my head at (laughs) you. You are. (laughs) University... Of the Incarnate Word. Yes. Or Incarnate Word University. I was in school for quite a you while. Were. Yes. You were. Yes, I was. Where she uh, studied gerontology, and she is a nationally known gerontologist who, she jokes, can stop a conversation at any cocktail party when someone says, gee, Carol, what do you do? I know. I'm so excited. It's my um, high school reunion year this year, and I'll get a chance to stop some more conversations with my fabulous gerontological background. Well, you have already done what our guest is going to be talking about, helping to care for an aging parent. But we'll be talking with Virginia Moore soon about caring for that aging parent. But before we bring her on, uh, there's news on Medicare cards. There is. I was at the Aging in America conference recently, and they actually, they being the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, came out and announced new Medicare cards. Why do you think we're getting new Medicare cards, Ron? Because no one can find their old ones. Because no one can find their old one, which had their Social Security number printed right on the front. So if you want really easy identity theft, just drop your Medicare card somewhere. So what are they putting on the new cards? Well, the new cards have random numbers assigned, uh, which means you will never remember it. Don't even try. Uh, But beginning this month uh, in April, they're going to start mailing them out to 55 million Medicare beneficiaries. uh, And the main reason is actually to help prevent uh, identity theft. Now, there are two exceptions to this, which are important for all the caregivers listening or thinking about that Medicare card, if you or your loved one is on a Medicare Advantage card, that's the card you show when you go to a physician. So that's if you're on an HMO or a PPO. So Medicare Advantage, you're going to show that. Continue to show that card, which already has a unique ID. There's no Social Security number on it. And then if you're using your Medicare Part D drug card, you're still going to have to show that one. Um, But with anything, there's new cards coming. And guess what? what? There are new scams to go with it. 
Already, already, yes. Um, So the new Medicare card is free, and already people are getting phone calls saying, you know, your Medicare card is expiring for a small fee. You can get an interim card uh, that you just pay for, and we're going to give you a discount on that new Medicare card. So the Medicare cards are free. Medicare will not call you or your loved one and ask for any personal information. So the other scam is that people are saying we're going to issue you a new Medicare card, give us the following information, and it usually is related to Social Security and maybe bank accounts and And other things. And date of birth. And date of birth, everything they need to go ahead and and do something not good, uh, steal your identity. Uh, And so the the last thing is, is... you know, do treat that new Medicare card as something valuable. Only show it to the health care provider when they ask for it. Uh, and because you're not going to remember the number, there's no Social Security number on it, um, that's double the reason to tell uh, other people in your family where you hid the Medicare card. <laughs> and that way they can find it if they need it. Yeah, that's kind of the rule in my house is if I hide something or put something something <laughs> somewhere safe, I have to tell other members of the family where the safe place uh, was but it's 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 long overdue. They've been talking about it. The next thing that's going to happen is we'll have to get new social security cards because so all I think all of us have had our social security numbers compromised by now. I'm not sure there's anyone left who hasn't. I don't think there is either. So look out for look in the mail. They're just starting uh, in April. It's going to take a full year to get across the country. So if you don't see it in the next month or two, do not worry. It is coming. coming. It will take a year to get to you. And if you can't find it, maybe what you need are better eyes. Is better eyes. And I'm so glad you said that, Talk Ron. Talk to me about better yeah, eyes. Yeah, how do you get better eye health? Well, you know, this probably comes as no surprise, but a lot of us spend time looking at computers and smartphones and smart tablets, uh, and we're only using our near vision, right, if we're looking at computers and phones. And so what they're finding is, you know, um, myopia or nearsightedness is skyrocketing because we're only using one set of muscles, so to kind of, you know, just like you would loosen up uh, other muscles in your body, use it or lose it, we need to get outside because when you go outside, think of all the different distances that you look at. You know, when you go outside, you look down at your feet, you look at the bird in the tree, you look at the, you know, house way down at the end of the block, the sunrise on the horizon. Uh, there's so many different levels of vision for you to look at. You really give your eyes a workout, and they're finding that's a good cure for computer eyes. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Virginia Morris will be joining us shortly. She'll be talking about caring for aging parents and talking about death, not a downer, but an upper about why you ought to begin that conversation before the threat Wait, Hypothetical. Is a hypothetical Very conversation. Very hypothetical. Now, you've got something on, on uh, an area that is fascinating to me, side effects of technology. Well, we were just talking about one side effect is you're losing your farsighted vision. Um, but the other, and, and this is something that's becoming chronic even in younger people. You might be a younger caregiver out there. Um, do you ever have hand pain from over-texting or over-using handheld devices? 
cumulative trauma disorder. Well, you know, the problem is, is for those of us who are, are older, that it doesn't cause um, arthritis. But if you have arthritis, you're going to aggravate it, and it's going to cause symptoms of it. So um, repetitive motions of texting and typing can cause hand pain um, if you're already uh, prone to it. And also pushing things too hard. You know, it used to be that you actually had buttons. We don't really push as hard as we used to. Uh, Neck and back pain, because think about it. Usually if you're on your phone or on your computer, too many of us, the monitor's too low, or we're staring at our phone, um, and you're hunched over. You're this little tiny device trying to read it with your short-sighted eyes. (laughs) And while I, I will say this is not a permanent condition, the neck pain, uh, it or, or your back problems, it's it's uncomfortable, and so you might have to take some ibuprofen to relieve that. But you know, if you ha- are having any side effects, your eyes are burning, your hand hurts, your wrist hurts, carpal tunnels flaring up, uh, your your any of your back pain, uh, you need to like get up <laughs> and do something else, uh, and work your hands, go take a walk, uh, and uh, try to get away from the electronic devices every once in a while. There's many a night. 1.30 in the morning, I'll wake up and there's a bright light next to me. And I'll say, Gina, put your toy away. Because Uh, she can shop 24-7. Well, you can be 24-7 on electronic devices. But, you know, the light from our electronic devices is like... It's right, a, it's a like, bad light. It's a bad light. It's that blue light. It makes right. you think the sun has come out, and you will reset your inner clock. Uh, and then, how will you know what time it is? You'll have to hold the phone all the time to you'll figure have, out what time it you'll is. I have no idea. It's it's just a you know a vicious circle. So put the device down from time to so time. So you got to you know stretch your fingers, move your wrists, go outside, and do something else. Now, do you know folks who are supplement and vitamin crazy? You know, I probably all of us can name somebody. We all have a friend or a relative who swears by some vitamins. And all of us have have been, you know, hooked on the idea of some vitamin and then found out, oh, my gosh, no, it's bad for you, that we get that whiplash effect. So the New York Times recently came out with a um, a study of vi- people that are hooked on vitamins and vitamin use. So more than half Americans use vitamins, and in the older people, elderly, it's like 68% of the elderly people, 65 and older, take multiple uh, multivitamins. And over the last, I don't know, 15 years, there's been so much research. Um, the National Institutes of Health have spent $2 billion in the last 10 years, and they have very little to show for it. And by that, you know, they're finding that vitamin use isn't really conclusively helping really at all. So all of that, the giant, I know Ron's looking at me. So all of you out there who are spending a lot of money on your vitamins, um, you know, what what we're saying, and if you go back and you look at why vitamins were created in the first place, it was because we had bad diets, right? Exactly. We had scurvy. We had... um, You don't hear a lot about scurvy. scurvy. Well, that's that's my point, is there were diseases, um, rickets, scurvy, vitamin D, vitamin C, uh, because people didn't get enough vitamins. We have really bad diets, right? Too much fat, too many calories, too much sugar, too much salt. However, comma, it's pretty good in vitamins, actually. And so all of the studies that are looking at vitamins, what they're finding is that they can't prove it was the vitamins that did it because people's diets are actually not that low. It's really about increasing your fruits and vegetables to kind of balance things out. 
You mentioned scurvy. What's the first thing I see and think of? I have no idea. Columbus's crew coming to America, oh. standing on the ship, struggling with scurvy. Struggling with scurvy. See, I'm on. I when I think of it, I think of Ernest Shackleton, who suffered from scurvy in his first expedition to the South Pole. Wow! And he b- m- created his own mix. The next time he went out for all of his crew, they kept them from getting it. Well, we got Virginia Morris joining us in just a minute. Anything interesting coming up on the teleconnection that folks might be aware of? The telecommunications system run by Caregiver SOS. Because we it's... always have something interesting. If you go to caregivertelaconnection.org, you can find a list of all of our sessions for the rest of the month and pick out the one that you like. Look for Ask Lucy. She's going to answer all your questions. And it's free. And it's free. Up next, we're going to talk with Virginia Morris all about caring for your aging parents. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. <laughs> Ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, thank you so much for being with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And as we have been promising you, we are pleased to be joined on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline by Virginia Morris, author of How to Care for Aging Parents. She also has a book out on how to talk about death, which is something too few of us, especially those of us in this country, have experience with, have knowledge about, or are comfortable with. And we'll talk about that as well. But let's kick it off first by welcoming Virginia to our Caregiver SOS On Air Hotline. Thanks for joining us. Oh, well, thanks for having me. You had uh, the experience that a lot of caregivers have. Uh, You ended up uh, providing care uh, in the remaining years your parents had. Uh, How did that come about? Uh, Actually, to be honest, I wrote the book before I cared for my parents. I was a medical journalist, and this is uh, in the early 90s, if you can believe it, Um, and just back then before the internet <laughs> wow is there a bo- were, yeah what was that <laughs> how did you find out anything people just had to write and call and get pamphlets and there was very little information now there seems to be too much information but um so i had been working on the book and i had to stop for a period uh and when my dad was quite frail and take care of him, which was a relatively short-term thing. And then um, my mom on and off for about 15 years uh, when I was working on the second and third edition of the book. So so I really am glad in a way that I came to it without 
the sort of baggage of my own experience. I really came to it just interviewing hundreds of people who had gone through it and seeing a lot of common threads. Uh, it, and it's always interesting to go through it yourself because you think you're the expert and then you're not. <laughs> right. Well, so you you mentioned how your book, you know, which has been really a staple uh, in the field of caregiving for a long time, and you've updated it over the years. What has changed? Has anything changed from when you started back in the 90s to when you talk to people today? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I would say the Internet is one of the biggest things that's changed, for better and for worse. Um, it's It can be a great source of information. It can also be a terrible source of information. And I think what's happened is companies have learned to use it to their benefit. And unfortunately, caregivers and their parents and their families are vulnerable. Um, so that's a little frightening to me. There's a lot of bad information. There's a lot of information that seems to be unbiased, but it's actually, you know, trying to get you to buy a hearing aid or put your mother in this nursing home or whatever it is. Um, so you have to be very careful. Um, I think men have gotten more involved than when I first started in this. I think this was very much a female job, and, and much of it still is, but I think sons have gotten more involved than they used to be. And from where you sit, do men approach caregiving differently than women? Well, I think so generally. I mean, it, it, a broad generalization, but I think women tend to be a little more hands-on. Um, I think men tend to be more task-oriented, and, you know, they'll handle the finances and they'll make appointments. Um, now, that's a huge generalization, and I think even that is changing, but I think it's somewhat known that women tend to, you know, kind of be the roll-up-your-sleeves person a little bit more. Well, let's go back to the beginning, to Caregiver 101, for folks who are listening today, and this is a show that uh, targets caregivers and their families. We get folks who are just new to caregiving, folks who may become caregivers in the next several months, and folks who... Uh, like you have had a lot of experience over the years in caregiving. Well, what are some of the top ten pieces of advice and recommendations that uh, you give to folks who are just becoming caregivers? Well, what is the magic words that they need to learn? Oh, boy. Um, I'm going to say even for those in the beginning but also all the way through it, just try to be a step ahead. You know, talk, communicate. Put it out there. I think there are a lot of topics that we just don't want to touch on, and it's just so much better when people have communicated ahead of time. So plan ahead, and that can be talking about legal issues. You know, do you have a durable power of attorney? Do you have advanced directives? Talking about financial issues. How will you pay for care? Um, housing. You know, mom, if for some reason you couldn't live here anymore. Where would you want to live? Uh, if you couldn't drive anymore, what would we do? You know, they're very hard conversations, but it life just becomes so much easier when you've started those conversations early, and, and especially when they're still sort of theoretical. Well, gee, what if, you know? Or, or what do you think about what happened with Aunt Marjorie? Or... Um, you know, what What do you want me to know if you can't make decisions for yourself? And that goes all the way, as you mentioned, I have a book called Talking About Death, you know, talking about those 
dreadful issues. Well, let's come to that in just a minute. By the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is here, and we're talking on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline with Virginia Morris. Uh, her book, How to Care for Aging Parents, as well as a, another book talking about death. And, and you brought up the death question. Uh, that's something that we, and I guess it's probably more Americans than others, have a a lot of trouble with. Oh, we sure do. Why? Um, Why do you think that's a problem? <laughs> well, it builds on itself. If you don't grow up talking about it, if that's not a subject that's comfortable in your family life, if it's something you don't experience, um, it just becomes taboo. And I think people, you know, I've had a lot of situations where a family will say, oh, you know, we'd like to talk about it, but mom would not want to talk about that. And and I go talk to mom, and she says, well, I'd like to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. So, you know, I think we just don't know how to break into it. We don't know how to discuss it beyond sort of, oh, gee, don't drag it out or unplug me when I'm there kind of generalizations. Um, and it's interesting talking about death because everybody thinks about it. And once you open that door, those conversations can really go to really interesting places, amazing places. Uh, things are said that maybe wouldn't have been said otherwise. And I think people are generally glad they did it. I haven't yet met anybody who wishes they hadn't talked about it. So When I you say it goes to interesting places, my reaction always is, like what? Uh, well, I think... Um, I'll try to give you some examples. You know, somebody might say, you know, I just don't want to be a burden to you kids. Well, what do you mean by a burden? What do you consider a burden? Well, you know, I don't want you to have to take care of me. I don't want you to have to do these things for me. Well, when we did those things for Dad, was that a burden? Did you think that was bad? Oh, no, that was a gift. Well, then I would want to do those things for you or... Or, you know, I've never told you, but whatever, you know, um, you may end up in tears, you may end up laughing, you may end up, you know, I always felt bad I did this, you know, if there was one thing I could tell you. People just, the conversation can go in so many interesting directions. It's not simply about, gee, if, you know, if you had a stroke, what would you want us to do? It, it, it opens up all sorts of doors. And I think... When you really are willing to talk about death, you start to live life more fully. And that sounds maybe a little bit corny, but um, you do appreciate every day a little differently. Well, and I, you know, I think that once you've had that conversation, it can be a tremendous relief to the family members who will ultimately stay behind so that when that moment happens, it's not this big blank slate. Um, you know, maybe they know something about wishes. Uh, maybe they know, you know, that it was okay, you know, that their parent, uh, their loved one was prepared for this. And, you know, there are so many good things that can come out of that conversation, just as you pointed out. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to understand it isn't one conversation. Um, obviously, you know that, but it's, you know, it's a series of conversations. It's an ongoing conversation. It changes and you may not get exact instructions and you may not have a moment when you're making a decision. You know, you have a series of medical decisions you make that kind of lead you 
down a certain path, um, but it definitely will help you, and those words will come back to you. You know, she really felt strongly about this. These were her priorities. This is what was important to her. Um, you know, I wrote that book because so many people would tell me, oh, I had my, you know, we had the conversation. I had a living will. We knew what she wanted, and then she ended up in the ICU, exactly what she didn't want. And I was trying to find out why that happens. Um, and I think people sort of expect a black and white line, among other things, um, that there's going to be a moment and a decision, and it's going to be sort of a, a clear-cut thing, and it, and it often is much fuzzier and grayer than that. And very often the first responders uh, have no idea what it is you want or she wants. Uh, they're simply doing what they're trained to do, which is get you to live, get you to breathe, get you to the hospital. Yeah, and often when you know exactly what somebody wants, you know, your very deep instincts kick in and say, oh, my gosh, no, I'm not ready. You know, I want her to be alive and don't do that. Uh, there's so many reasons why it kind of runs amok. And I think also you asked how things have changed even since I've been doing this. I think medical decisions have become so much more complicated, and it's not a matter of futile care and dragging it out. It's you know, will do you want us to do a transfusion or dialysis or try this other treatment? And there's so many things they can do, and it's just awful for families making those decisions uh, if they don't have some pretty clear sense of what somebody really values in life. Well, we're going to take a, a break here, uh, but when we come back, maybe we could talk about, we've talked about planning um, and conversations, and maybe we could talk a little bit about when those plans don't really go as planned. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. You know, whenever I hear be there, I always think, or be square. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline, we're talking with Virginia Morris, author of How to Care for Aging Parents, and also author of a book on, on talking about death. And Carol, you were asking uh, Virginia to expand on some of the planning that goes into getting ready to care for aging parents. Well, you know, Virginia, you were talking about some of the planning, and I'm thinking about some of my own personal experiences in caregiving and how sometimes things don't go as planned. Um, and, you know, what do you do when, you know, you promised mom you'd never put her in a nursing home or she wouldn't die, you know, in the hospital or, you know, you realize that you're at that place that you're going to have to deviate from all the best laid plans? Well, ideally, you know up front before you make those promises that, that you probably shouldn't make those promises. Um, you know, I think caregivers just do the best they can. Yeah, but let me and, stop you right there because you're right. You should never promise, Carol, I will never put you in a nursing home. But when she looks at you, and you know you shouldn't say that, right? But Virginia, when she looks at me or, you know, her spouse and says, you won't put me in a nursing home, right? You're not going to do that to me, right? What do you say? I think you just say, I am going to take the absolute best care of you I possibly can. You keep it, you know, a little bit vague because sometimes 
a nursing home is actually the best option. Of Sometimes course. being at home is not great for somebody. So I think just reassuring somebody that you are never going to abandon them, that you'll be there for them, um, and that you will always do the best you possibly can for them um, is better than, you know, making very um, detailed promises that you may or may not keep. Right. Well, that and that that flexibility and giving yourself permission to deviate from the plan, even though you you went in with the best of intentions. You know, you've you've talked about some of the planning. You've talked about some of the conversations. Um, you know, what else are some of those key points that you would communicate to to the caregivers? Not necessarily the new ones. Maybe those that are on, on um, mile uh, eleven of their. 20, you know, I guess not miles, is it, when you're running a marathon? Anyway, you run the 26K, and you're on K number 11. <laughs> well, I guess there's two things that I would really want to emphasize. One is it's really important that you take care of yourself, and I think people hear this and think, well, I don't have time for that. That's ridiculous. Um, and it's hard for caregivers to understand that they really can't provide great care if they are frazzled, exhausted, irritable, resentful. Um, it's very important that they take care of themselves. Uh, and the other thing I would say is um, quite often we know what we want to have happen. We believe we know what's best and our parent thinks otherwise. <laughs> so, you know, dad needs to stop shoveling the walk or use his walker or take his meds or move out of this house or sign these papers, whatever it is that, you know, he just won't do. And it's a really hard place for a caregiver because you really want to do the best for this person and they're just not agreeing to it. And I think it's important to just remember that this is still an autonomous person and the dilemma becomes that our desire for their safety kind of conflicts with their desire for autonomy or to live their life in their own way. And sometimes you have to know when to quit and, you know, talk to them, get other people to talk to them, maybe get them to go look at whatever the assisted living home you're interested in having them move into or get them to agree to just try something you want them to try. I mean, there's sort of a series of steps. But at some point, this is their life, and they have the right to take risks. And it's very hard for us as the caregivers to watch that. Oh, my God, she's going to fall down the stairs. How could she live there? But this is their choice if they're competent and, you know, and able. So sometimes you just have to know there's only so much you can do. Well, I think, you know, I'm thinking, I've just had this conversation recently. I have a 97-year-old great aunt who fell four times last year, and we, we, the caregivers, decided, you know, we've got to find a a, a place for her where she's not going to fall, and she likes the food, and it's a better place because she was so unhappy where she was, and she actually fell visiting other places. So we went around, we visited, I don't know, we flew to New Mexico and we visited like 10 assisted living facilities and we picked the top three and we had to go visit the top three. And then she called us and said she'd moved into independent housing, someplace completely different. 
<laughs> we were we were horrified. What do you mean independent living? You know, and she so she already had living in assisted living. She already had some caregivers who helped her out. She, I'll be darned if she didn't just take those with her to her independent housing where she likes the food, she likes the active people, she thinks it's a much better fit, happy as a clam, just spoke with her this weekend. Um, and, you know, the only other level of care where she is is a nursing home. And I don't know, maybe that is the best place for her. But it was months and months of us talking, deciding, visiting, doing, only to have her do what she said she really wanted to do in the first place, which was moved to independent living at the age of 97. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zerniel and our special guest, Virginia Morris, on our Caregiver SOS on our hotline. Her book, How to Care for Aging Parents, and that is a wonderful story. And uh, Virginia just goes to show you sometimes the care recipient knows better. (laughs) <laughs> or, or does what they want. You know, I, I might still argue with that. But <laughs> she got what she wanted, and, and, and she she is of sound mind and autonomous. And, you know, that that's one of those things we're having to let her go and finish, you know, her life on Earth. She said, I'm going to die here. We said, well, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you try to imagine your children turning to you and telling you what to do. I don't think we'd like it either. So, you know, uh, we all want to live our life our own way. Well, and that's and, and it's a it's a really important lesson when we can let people do that. Well, you know, you've been in this business a long time and we t- you were talking about the complexity of, of medical decisions, you know, with the, the different types, of, well, the lack of public policy that supports caregiving, the changing, rapid changing uh, health care environment that we live in, um, you know, the different types of care that we can provide in the home or in different settings. I mean, it everything seems more complex than it did when I think about my days of starting out in uh, graduate school back in the, you know, candlelight days. Well, how has technology impacted all of this as well? Yeah, well, that's what I was just about to say. I think technology has um, added to the complexity and the simplicity. You know, you can buy pretty much any gadget these days and have a house almost run itself and your parents' blood pressure is checked all the time, and people put cameras in their parents, false sensors, and all sorts of things. I just think people have to be very careful in, in two ways. One is you can have a false sense of security. Um, you're never going to have every corner of the house covered by a camera, and somebody can take the pill from their automatic pill dispenser and walk away with it but not swallow it, whatever. Um, and I think the other is... One of the most important things for all of us humans, but particularly as we age, is is human contact and interaction and feeling part of the loop. And I think very busy caregivers can feel, okay, I've you know got mom taken care of because she's got all these gadgets checking whether she's fallen or not, but but she doesn't have a person to talk to, or you know, and and so even again technology, you know, get them on Skype. Um, you know, emails communicate in some way, keeping somebody in the loop. I think that, you know, we get so focused on keeping somebody safe uh, that sometimes we forget, you know, that that um, 
life needs to be worth living. Well, I can give you a pretty good example of where technology is fabulous, but it doesn't work. My uh, mom, now deceased, uh, lived in a little town called Shaker Heights, Ohio. My brother lived nearby. And in Shaker Heights, they have a system where anybody over 65 can register with the city, and they automatically call you every day. And if you don't answer the phone, they dispatch uh, a first responder to the house to be sure the person's okay. So one night, my brother gets a call, 2 in the morning, from the uh, Shaker Heights Police Department saying, Mr. Eisenberg, uh, we're concerned. We're in your house. Your mother, <laughs> your mother's not here. And he said, well, that's because she's here with us, and we forgot to tell you. <laughs> yeah, technology is not a replacement completely for, for Communication. <laughs> that's where you began. Yeah. Communication, yeah. right? Communication, definitely. <laughs> so as you look over the horizon, we're going to run out of caregivers. We're also going to run out of time for this segment. We're going to run out of caregivers. How do we fix that? Is there a professional caregiver core in the future? Well, I hope so, but I don't really see it happening. In fact, we're short on geriatricians, which we need more of, and uh, it's a dilemma. I'm not, I wish I had uh, an answer for that, but I think that um, we better take care of our family caregivers because they're the ones that shoulder 80% of this burden, and if we're not providing them, respite and community services and things like you mentioned, you know, check-in, van rides. Communities have to wake up and start providing for their seniors and their caregivers or they're going to have quite a burden. Well, if um, people want to get hold of you or either of your books, How to Care for Aging Parents or Talking About Death, what, where would they go? Uh, I have a website, careforagingparents.com. Uh, the books are available at most any or online. So all, all of the, all of the online places we know and love. Um, you know, kind of what what in in you know parting. You know what words would you what you know what recommendation? What, what final thoughts would you have for the caregivers who might be listening today? Um, I think that we get so caught up in the day to day work of making sure they're safe and getting their prescription and getting them to physical therapy and making sure they do everything that sometimes we forget to just take a day off and play hooky and enjoy them. And I, I urge caregivers to just sometimes stop in their tracks, don't do what you were supposed to do today, and just take your mom out to a park and have an ice cream cone or lie next to her in bed and watch a funny movie or just enjoy them a little bit because I think when it's all over, those are the moments you're really going to cherish. It's good advice. I love that advice. You know, the the element of fun. Uh, there was a speaker from the Dementia Villages in Scandinavia, and that's exactly what they said: is every person deserves to have fun at least once a day. Ooh, I <laughs> have like a that. Little fun. <laughs> hey, Virginia, thanks so much for talking with thanks us. Thanks for having me. It was great, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care. Bye bye. Virginia Morris, who is the author of Caring for Aging Parents, has a book, too, about talking about death. Up next, Take 10, Dr. Jamie Heisman will join us on Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, 
What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, as we promised, we bring you Take 10 at the end of each and every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we are joined by Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist, an expert not only on caregiving but on addictions as well. And, Carol, you've got a uh, tough one for him now. Yeah, I, I call this shoot the messenger. And here's the story, Jamie. I had lunch with a caregiver yesterday, and she was talking to me about her experiences where first, you know, she realized that something was wrong with her husband, but the doctors kept telling her, no, there's nothing wrong. And then, you know, the children from the first marriage said, oh, you, you know, you're abusing him. That's the reason he's acting unusual. It's your fault. And then the kids from this marriage said, there's nothing wrong. You're the problem. And so why is it that at family members and maybe even some of our caring providers um, discount the family members who notice something is wrong? You know, what causes people to attack the messenger? Because this is something you've talked about in the car key conversation about how they always shoot the messenger. Let's see. How about anxiety, fear, guilt, um, all the above, add any emotion you'd like. You see, what happens with us as, as family members, if you will, we become frustrated. We absolutely feel like we have a loss of control. Chronic and terminal illness and even, you know, acute situations will do that to us. It just robs us of what we think we need, which is control. And all of a sudden, we kind of get out of control in our mind. That being the case, we lash out at the first person that we can possibly see um, because we're trying to assert control in our environment where you are really not feeling right. And this is exactly, exactly, Carol, the reason why caregivers need a third party. They need a mediator. They need somebody who can actually get in between in an objective way and not, if you will, um, uh, allow the, the person to beat on the other person. It's like you said, to kill the messenger. Well, so, you know, before we get to the intermediary, when somebody gets like, you know, she's listening to all of these people telling her she's the problem, she's wrong, she's not. There's nothing wrong with dad. There's nothing wrong with dad. Um, You know, how does that make her feel? Well, you know, if she goes into this with low self-esteem, already feeling beaten up, often this is the case when we come from our families because we kind of, recreate, if you will, the childhood trauma, and, and we become intimidated. And so how it makes her feel is absolutely terrible. And I would imagine it made her feel terrible as a child as well. This is all the more reason 
why we have to do so much work on our own selves, our own self-esteem, our own self-assurance in terms of creating boundaries, and our own, as you hear me say every week, self-care. Well, I think, you know, this particular person, and I'm, I don't think it's unusual. I think, I, you know, we've talked to many caregivers, like, in a similar situation where um, they get the, the blame uh, for, you know, bringing up something, something's wrong. Um, you know, what, how do we, how do we transition to getting that help? We're already, you know, we're pinned to the wall. Our family's against us. The doctor's not believing us, or we haven't found the right physician to interpret what's going wrong. How do we overcome that hurdle? How do we believe in ourselves uh, again enough to do the right thing and, and try to get some additional help? Well, this is a two-part process. One is actually taking care of yourself so you know and feel self-assured, have the proper boundaries, that what you're saying is true, that you're authentic to your own word, and that whatever anybody says, uh, as they take things personal, of course, that they're actually wrong. And this is something that you are so self-assured about. That requires a lot of self-care. It requires taking care of our own mind, our body, and our soul. But to the other point, the other parallel path is you have to really set up successful family conversations. Um, it's, it's so important for caregivers, if you will, to not play the blame game and focus on, on sharing their own feelings, agreeing on a common goal, if you will, just getting a third person or a third party, a clinic clinician, if you will, to kind of mediate, arbitrate, and also be able to learn how to speak your mind politely. Well, you know, I think the there's an important piece that often that you just mentioned that often gets missed, um, and it doesn't apply just to caregivers who are getting beat up by their family members, uh, but that whole idea of um, as we go along with life. Uh, finding those people who are sort of in our court, not in a blind faith kind of way, you know, but people that support us, those friends that support us no matter what, uh, you know, the clergy that listens to us, the therapists that can help us get over tough times, because it's it's really hard if we've waited until later in life and we're in a caregiving situation to call in support, you know, we've got to make up so much ground that we may have lost along the way just for ourselves. Oh, you're so right. And the stigma and shame that's attached to it, Carol, is something fierce. You know, um, playing this blame game and, and, and blaming the messenger to me just says that there's a lot of hurt in the family. And what you're saying makes all the sense in the world. This is why getting a therapist or taking care of your own self-care long before you become a caregiver is, is the path. I mean, you have to do your best to accept and, and move on from these old arguments. And what you're describing is a family who has not moved on. I mean, someone may have, have hurt them in the past, if you will, and, and, and because of that, you know, they're taking it personally. And remember, to take things personally means you can't separate the out-of-control person from your loved one, and that's what you must do. Now, if you've like just joined Alzheimer's us, or- if you just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Dr. Jamie Heisman is with us, and I'm, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jamie, but uh, Carol, uh, is there more to the story? Did What was she seeing, and did somebody finally 
say, you know, there may be something here. Well, you know, there are some illnesses that are fairly rare. Um, there are different types of dementia um, when you don't present with classic Alzheimer's. And so, you know, in the sometimes it does take a specialist. And in the world of primary care, as wonderful as all of our primary care doctors are and aspire to be, sometimes they just don't have the depth. Uh, and you can, I, we've all known somebody who could fake things pretty well, either with dementia or maybe they had cancer or something, other strange kind of disease, and they, you know, you wouldn't have never guessed. And in this case, by, the way, by know, looking like, at them, by looking at them, you're right, fine. Right. So, well, my motto in life is, is this is be kind to everybody because you do not know what they're going through. And I can tell you that I look exactly like I did maybe, you know, five, ten years ago, but. There is a chronic illness there. And what people don't understand, to your point, is that there is things going on that we may not see. I mean, we can see somebody who's in a wheelchair. We can see somebody in crutches. We can see somebody who has an amputation. But with what you're describing, it's like that. And, again, what we tend to do, and I'll say it very briefly, is take things personal. You must separate the the Alzheimer's that you're talking about or the alcoholism from the loved one and be able really to see it separately so you don't fall into these anger traps. Now, for her to persevere, she had to really love him. Well, and and you have to realize that this is somebody, when you're seeing someone day in, day out, and the symptoms of whatever is wrong only show up every once in a while, and in short periods of time, they don't see it at all, and they're like, you know, you're nuts. There's nothing wrong. This is, you're you're trying to find something wrong. That's what you're doing. Yeah, and so, and that's and a that's, tough situation. It is, and that's the time when you have to seek the outside help. Because, again, just to your point, Carol, and you said it so well, if you don't see it and you don't know it or it's episodic, get somebody who understands that chronic illness and the dynamics around the communication um, cold. Somebody who's trained in it, and that makes all the sense in the world. Also, if you can't do that, then you go to the self-help groups and you really throw out your issues and hope you get the proper feedback from people who have gone through the same experience. Well, and I would say that is the key. If you haven't found the person that can give you the right diagnosis, at least get some help in a support group or um, you know a, a therapist along the way, somebody to be in your corner as you go through this really difficult time. Now, is there an end of the story, or is she still fighting this? Uh, the end of the story is finally the symptoms got bad enough that it was obvious to uh-huh. everybody, um, and then things smoothed out along the way. So that's what had to happen. That's what had to happen. That was that's a years years in the work. That's unfortunate. Wow, Doctor Jamie, last imagine, thought. Can you imagine how frustrating that is for the person who has a chronic illness? Yes. I mean, truly trying to convey themselves to their caregiver. That's why it's so important. Get that professional help as soon as possible. Bam, punctuation and thank you. This is Take Ten on Caregiver SOS on air. Ron Aaron, along with Doctor Jamie Heisman and our co-host. Carol Zernio, catch you again next Sunday at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.